welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Podcast, episode 126. It's our second simulcast with Ryan at Praxis Behind the Obscure. I haven't decided what uh, title I'm going to give this episode yet, as I'm talking to you right now, to be honest, so you already know. I can only wonder. Um, In today's episode, Ryan and I are going to be talking a little bit about Jainism, uh, Buddhism, and, you know, my trip up to Rajgir, and yoga, and kind of the, the traditions, the various non-Vedic Indian traditions, kind of from Uttar Pradesh and uh, Bihar area, that uh, especially those ones, especially Jainism, mostly Jainism. Um, But uh, before we get to that, or I'm supposed to say, but first, transformation. So yeah, um, I will read the next part in the uh, the book my dad wrote in 1976, which I published recently. You may have seen it look like this, uh, but if you go to Amazon right now, it's got a photo. The cover is a photo that I took when I was hiking up to Annapurna Base Camp in Nepal. So this is a photo by the uh, the author's son when he was on his spiritual journey in the Himalayas. Um, I'll just get to the reading. What you're hearing is Jean-Michel Jarre. So thank you, Mr. Jarre, for that. All right. Transformations, chapter six, verses 16 through 22. Verse 16. In order to play survival, it is necessary to pretend that things are incomplete and that they need to get better in order to be complete. Also, it is necessary to believe that there isn't enough to go around and get everybody playing to agree. Verse 17. Anyhow, that's what flesh place fear junkies Take for totally granted, believe in, despair of, and hope against the survival game, which they get off on, or get off on not getting off on, or something more baroque in terms of onion layers of getting off on whatever. Verse 18. It's what's so for them, in other words. Not so obviously, something else is really so. Not to be believed in, not to be hoped for, just so. Aliveness games. Verse 19. Aliveness games start when one comes from the position of taking total responsibility for creating everything complete and forgetting that the whole thing is a process of unfolding, not understanding it, 
getting it. Understanding is a flesh place fear junkie mind game, equivalent to verbal stereotyping with a hope attached to it that somehow some comfort release will come from a given verbal or mathematical formula and that it will end happily ever after right there. Verse 20. Truly, you and I know that sometimes some understandings work, some for a longer time than others. These give flesh place fear junkies ample opportunities to polish their mirrors and be right about them. Then understandings stop working, and flesh place fear junkies get mean and play survival and make wrong on people who point out that their pet understandings do not work, or at least do not work for them personally. Verse 21. Understandings create space for understanding one thing at a time. Getting things creates space for many understandings and for moving off of positions. Verse 22. The first step in getting things is to get where you are with them, which means being able to get off of stereotypes about what is hip and or unhip should oughts, and being willing to admit that you don't get it if that's what's so for you, and being able to put that there by hanging out with it. You may even get nothing. Rejoice. Transformations. John Dan Reeb. Link in the description below if you're watching me on YouTube. If you're hearing the podcast, you can search for J O H N D A N R E I B on Amazon. Get yourself a copy. It's available on Kindle as well. And so, without further ado, let's get to that simulcast with Ryan, shall we? Thank you. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode one twenty six. Okay, cool, cool. So I think I'm God. I think I'm forty six, actually. I believe so. I'd have to go back and check. Okay, nice. But nice. Um, yeah, so numerology. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one seventy two. If you add them together, oh, no, is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, Americans can't do math. So yeah, we got to whip out a seventy two is important. But right. uh, add a Coke to that, and I don't know what you get. But it... Right. Well, it's funny. The, the one shocking thing, I remember when I first moved here to Korea, like you would look at middle school kids' math textbooks, right? And middle mm-hmm. school, oh, I think we were studying like pre-algebra or something like that, you know, maybe in like right. late middle school. Then, yeah, like, yeah. Algebra one, geometry. I mean, I remember the order like that. Algebra one, geometry. And if you're really smart, you made it to like trigonometry and pre-calculus. Right. And if you're super yeah, yeah. smart, it'd be like, one, the one class that was like the AP calculus, right? Like the yeah, one yeah, yeah. class in my school. But like in Korea, middle school students are studying 
what the super smart high school American no. students are studying. Oh my gosh. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, good for them, but shame for for Americans. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild stuff. But uh, anyways, yeah, so um, I was having a conversation with some other friends of mine, and uh, mm -hmm. sort of the topic of Jainism came up. And uh, the one person who came to mind was you, because you had traveled to what region of India? Uh, in in it's the state is Bihar, and the city is Rajgir. Um, it was known in ancient times as Rajagaha or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was back when Mahavir was the, you know, uh, spiritual advisor for the king. And uh, that was actually a stone's throw from where Lord Buddha was sitting under the Bodhi tree at around the same time. Um, it's a little bit of a guess as to... Like, there isn't any hard evidence that they knew each other. But yeah. Lord Buddha does talk about Mahavir, but Mahavir doesn't talk about Lord Buddha. So, and, and based on the guesstimates as to the time periods, Mahavir was probably a little older. Um, so he was either a hundred and something years older or 20 years younger or somewhere in between, like based on the overlapping guesstimates as to when they were around. Uh, on Wikipedia, you know. Um, so, so I had when when I went to I don't know if you don't mind if I just launch into it here, you know. I, no, I it's fine. But uh, I'm I'm wondering like geographically. Uh, you said Bihar, right. is that right? That's the name of the region. Bihar. Is yeah, it's where, kind uh, of. Is that where Bodh Gaya and Varanasi are, or is it? Am I off here? Yeah. Um, well, Varanasi. Actually, I'm a little bit ignorant. For, forgive me to my uh, Indian friends. Um, I'm not sure what state Varanasi is in off the top of my head, but... Um, you are not but, a real Indian, are you? <laughs> oh my but Bodh Gaya, Bodh Gaya and Rajgir are most certainly in Bihar. And okay. I think Varanasi might be in a different state. Um, I don't think it's in Bihar, but maybe it is. Okay, now, well, I can look it up real quick if you, if you, if you want. Here, say something while okay, I'm Okay, that's okay. Well, uh, well um, I think the only reason I really ask is obviously because the Buddha, yeah. the, he attained enlightenment. He went to the, as many people know, right, under the Bodhi tree. And then you Uttar Pradesh. Okay, okay. So it's a, Varanasi it's, is in Uttar Pradesh, which I think is yeah. just to the left of Bihar. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a neighboring state, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty right. clear by accounts that they were at least somewhat contemporaries, you know, maybe alive yeah. at the same time, and they had at least. Maybe they had crossed paths. We're not really sure about that. Definitely Buddha was aware of Mahavir, but Mahavir right. might not have known about Buddha. Mahavir's time might have ended before Buddha's really got going. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, or Lord so, Buddha became famous. What I thought what I thought's really interesting is like, you know, they're both on their mission to achieve liberation. They're both doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, to like kind of backtrack to like the history of yoga, the history of this movement before these guys mm -hmm. were even around because right. there we can track them to what like that's like the fourth century bce roughly right six. Roughly. oh six okay i'm way off then yeah okay. so mm. it's like yeah yeah okay the six that's right that's right okay however prior to that they track this movement called the shramana movement which is about right. the eighth century bc so about 200 years roughly prior to this which is right. when um you had basically people that it was sort of like a reaction to the Vedic movement. You know, the Vedics uh, was basically, they believed like that was the manifested text and you had the caste system and they had their right. whole system. And there was a reactionary movement to that 
that kind of said, we need to go back to nature. We need to go back within. It's not about these Vedas, not about these texts, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Although the Vedics will say, you know, the hardcore Vedics will say, oh, no, actually, yoga is all from the Vedas or this or oh, that. Of course. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. belongs to uh, where, wherever you're from, wherever your bias is, everything good and interesting and useful and wise came from you, you people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, had a, I, I knew a Finnish, an older Finnish woman, and everything was Finnish. The mm -hmm. Finns came up with everything. Don't believe anyone. It was all Finland is where it is the origin of everything. Right. Yeah. It's a nationalism, right? There's uh, other examples of that. Absolutely. But um, yeah, so you had like the Shramana movement where they're going back. They were kind of like, it's almost like you can almost think about it like um, from what I've studied, it's almost like the hippie movement in a way where they're like, we got to drop out of society sort of figure out our way you know what i mean it's like you have this mainstream cast system of vedas like no no it's on us to tune <laughs> tune in tune out drop out but more in the sense of like naturally going into nature meditating figuring this stuff out right themselves so right you have this whole movement and uh one thing i learned that was interesting is like you know how all like the swamis wear the orange robes and you see the old school buddhists who have like the you know theravadan buddhists you go to thailand they're on the orange um you know, the most uh, gear, basically, right? Or like mm -hmm. all, all the Theravadan countries that are the old school uh, Buddhist tradition um, are wearing these orange robes, but that's actually, and the swamis of today, right? You look at modern swamis. Mm -hmm. But that's yeah, actually, um, yeah, it's a growth out of that Shramana movement that I was talking about, because what they would do is they would take rags. They're kind of like hippies, right? Uh, like tie-dye, basically. So what they do mm -hmm. is they would take like white rags, you know, white robes and rags that they had that they could muster, knit them together, and then they would throw them in turmeric, which would dye them oh, orange. Oh, right. Yeah, which mm. would dye them orange, and that's why you see, you know, it was actually just basically what would be like the equivalent of like streetwear, tie-dye stuff, right? But then that became <laughs> the funniest, like, come full circle to being the institutionalized clothes of the... Right. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And you can <laughs> see that pattern, you know, you can see a similar example with Christianity starting out as a bunch of hippies, and how that became institutionalized and now you have institutionalized you know sort of nationalized uh i won't say too much because i live here and i'm <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to see somebody come in the back i i, I love i love the government of my adopted country very much and i have no uh, but uh yeah no okay. I, I, I yeah anyways you had this movement right and then you had mm -hmm. um, you know people like the hardcore um, what's interesting because you're reading the Pali Canon too. You have like Buddha talking about all mm. these different groups because he was a shramana too. He was yeah. going out to the woods to figure out his way, basically, right? And he, he met the hardcore materialists and then like the hardcore aesthetics, like all these different groups that were experimenting, you know, with human nature yeah. and the mind and trying to figure this stuff out, right? And then you yeah, have, yeah, and a lot of I mean, we don't really need to go into the Buddha story because you know there's a lot of other podcasts about that, and I've I've covered some Buddhist stuff. Well, it's it's interesting. <clears throat> a lot of what we know about that the Shramana sects, there were approximately 60 different orders uh, run by different masters, teachers, uh, you know, cult leaders, whatever, uh, at the, at, at, around, around the 6th century BC. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the ones that we know about I mean, we know Jainism directly from the Jainists, mm -hmm. and Lord Buddha talked about the Jainists, but uh, other than Buddhism and Jainism, as far as I know, the, the ones that we know about, we know about from Lord Buddha. 
And then, uh, but there was Ajivika, which did last up until I think it lasted a thousand years or longer, mm-hmm. but it ha- it hasn't been around, I think, in at least seven or eight hundred years at this point. But there's okay. references the, to was another one that another like lineage or yeah. another movement, but that but kind the, of it was enough. totally different though. It was it, I mean it was like they they have some things in common. Like I mean you could but it's at a certain point like if we define the shramana movement based on the attributes of Jainism and Buddhism, then we can say, because Jainism and Buddhism had a lot in common, that they were they were meditating, they were uh, seeking enlightenment, they were abstaining from clinging, abstaining from, from desire and materialism and all this. But Ajivika, they were drinking alcohol and they were having sex with women and they were dancing and they were, you know, having children and just kind of like, wait, so what is the Shramana movement if this is also a Shramana sect? sect? And, uh, and then there was another one where, and, and also in Ajivika, they believe there's no free will. Like what you do and what you're going to do from here on out, it's you have no actual control over it because everything. So, I mean, that's kind of different from Buddhism. You know, I I mean, it's it, it, it kind of reminds me of the ancient Greek philosophers, how you'd have one guy come along and say, here's what I think. And someone else come along and say, here's what I think. Um, so, you know, a lot of them would meditate, but there was one that was into hardcore materialism and didn't believe in uh, any kind of afterlife. Uh, right. And then there was there was another one that, yeah, I, I mean, that they, they just were so different based on Buddha's description. So it's kind right. of like we only have a perhaps biased uh, perspective because, sure, of course, sure. right. Lord Buddha... Um, the things, I don't think there were scribes actually writing down what he said. So the best mm. we have is the remembered mm. and maybe, maybe a little bit made up or, you know, uh, uh, um, recollections of his students. students. Well, you were a secondhand uh, account. Right. And, and, and if you, I mean, I don't, I don't think you've ever been in a cult, but for speaking as one who has been in a cult, if somebody comes along and says, tell me about the other five main cults that are just like yours. And you're going to say, well, this guy is a total materialist and this guy is abusing children and this guy, you know, and kind of put them all in a negative light, you know, and like, what are the ones that have the true stuff? You right. Know? right. Well, so, everyone, so everyone claims that, yeah. you know, with, I mean, I, and I, you know, I love Buddhism, but I'm also a smart ass and, you know, a cynic <laughs> and I try to be realistic. So, right. you know, it, it's, it's, it's important to keep these things in mind that yeah. it might've been that they were all uh, meditating and they were all relatively good, but one of them, you know, seems maybe to lean a little bit in a particular direction. And this one leaned a little bit in that direction, but the followers of Buddha wrote it down as if they were a hundred percent that. So we don't really know without a time machine, because that's the only source that we have. Um, what, what about since you live in India now, modern day India, is Jainism, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still something people know about and talk about. And like when I took like- It's there, a, yeah. A world religions course, I mean, it's still- like, I mean, it's funny because you'll read like Christianity, that's like a whole, you know, 
50 pages, like when you get the World Religions book, right? Right. Christianity, 50 pages, and then like, you know, Judaism. Jainism and Buddhism get a paragraph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Buddhism gets like maybe 5, 10, and then Jainism, one page, you know, something like that, right? (laughs) And so yeah, it, is, yeah. it is still uh, something that's being uh, practiced there, huh? Yeah. Okay. There, there are Jainist temples. Probably if I had a really good throwing arm, mm-hmm. I could I could hit one with a rock from my balcony. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it, like not visibly, but I know they're like down the street. And uh, and and so in especially in uh, Bihar. Now, Bihar or, you know, Uttar Pradesh and, and, and Bihar, mostly Bihar was kind of the hotbed of all of, of a lot of these movements. And uh, like I said, uh, uh, Mahavir, it, it was a 13 and a half hour walk, which means an hour and a half drive. Back then, you know, I think in terms of walking because back then people were walking. So, so it was a day's journey to get from Bodh Gaya to Rajgir. So the, and and the the fact that now now what blew my mind I can tell the story a little bit if if you if you want what blew what happened with me was I went to Bodh Gaya with uh, Priyal and um, and then she wanted to take me to Rajgir and at the time I was like I've never heard of Rajgir but we'll go sure and I, I knew Nalanda University was in Rajgir so we went to Rajgir and we went to Nalanda University which is a whole other topic and I won't get sidetracked right now. Um, but that's an amazing thing. And then, but then, you know, she was saying we should visit some Jainist temples and it, but it was really hot that day. And, uh, so we were like, eh, next time, next time in a year or two, you know, and then our friend Koal was there as well. And he went and walked down the street at night when it had cooled off and said, Hey, uh, it, it's cooled off. And there's this Jain temple right down the street. And it's uh, Viriyatan, V-E-E-R-A-Y-A-T-A-N. I guess these days there's there's branches, you know, there's uh, different types of Jainism, of course, you know, but they they all have their their core beliefs in common. Um, And so we went and I, you know, they had little dioramas, uh, little, you know, models and little descriptions of what was going on. And I was just sort of absorbing all of this information. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do, do I understand correctly that, that Mahavir was famous teaching the king in the city of kings, Rajgir means city of kings, um, and in, in this sort of relatively metropolitan, you know, cosmopolitan for the time, 600 BC, uh, in uh, the, I think, Magad, 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 was that active at the time? I, I think it was, but it might have come later. But anyway, um, so so he was well known and, uh, and teaching Jainism, teaching asceticism, teaching meditation, non-materialism, and all of this stuff. And his own personal story, Mahavir's, this is Mahavir, by the way, the oh, uh, cool. he's he's oh, called wow. the twenty fourth the twenty fourth Chirtankara, which I'll explain what that means in a minute. But uh-huh. uh, so so he yeah he's depicted as as looking a lot like Lord Buddha. Um, so he was he fasted for fifteen years, and uh, and taught all these things non attachment and uh, don't have sex and all of these things. And again, some of the other uh, so called ascetic religions. You know, didn't have those same rules, and uh, and then meanwhile, 
13 and a half hours walk away from the big city out in the wilderness, Bodh Gaya, there was uh, an aspiring, you know, a former prince who was, who was aspiring on the ascetic path and he was starving himself. And he was with a bunch of other ascetics who were starving themselves. And then when he decided to have a bowl of rice, the ascetics around him said, yeah, you broke the rules. Mm. And, uh, and then he went his own direction. And I was like, it seems to me that Lord Buddha was a Jainist, you know, or that, that he was actually a practicing Jainist as a follower of Mahavir directly or indirectly. And then he went his own way and made the middle way and said, okay, it's just like Jainism, but you're allowed to eat bowls of rice and you don't have to wear a little scarf in front of your face. And I was like, is it, is that, does that, am I crazy? Am I sounding crazy? I said to Priyal, who's from there, who's from like not far from Rajgir. And she said, well, no, everybody kind of knows that. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. you know that. Maybe the people in Bihar know that, but that's not common knowledge around the world. People don't say, right. well, Lord Buddha started out as a Jainist. Now, of course, Jesus being Jewish and being kind of at that crux point of the Roman occupation of Judea is very important to the context of his life story. So sure. everybody sure. knows that, that Jesus was originally Jewish, for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah and, uh, most people but no, no, nobody yeah. says Lord Buddha was, uh, everybody, I think, assumes Lord Buddha was Hindu because he was from India. Right, um, right. Or, or born, born in Nepal, but, you know. Well, uh, I mean, but but I, I think he was on more of a Jainist path. And like you said, and, and definitely it comes across in the early Buddhist teachings that he was actively, I mean, he was friendly with the Brahmins that were friendly with him. But he would come, he he would have issues sometimes with certain Brahmins. And sometimes, you know, like one of the Buddhist nuns was raped by a Brahmin in the story. And it's like, okay, so, you know, it's not, they're not kissing the arses of the Brahmins, but they're yeah. not complete, they're not completely throwing them in the fire either. They're saying that some some Brahmins were very respectful of Lord Buddha and would give him food and this kind of thing. Um, and but the, the very beginning of the first basket of the Tibitaka, the earliest uh, teachings of Buddha, starts off with a conversation between a Brahmin and Lord Buddha. And uh, the Brahmins telling him, you know, I hear that you yet you came into my city, but you didn't offer me a seat and you didn't give me food and you didn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, What's the word? Uh, prostate. Prostrate prostate yourself to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and Buddha said, when a Buddha prostrates himself to somebody who's not worthy to be prostrated to by a Buddha, that person splits in half as if they were struck by lightning. So <laughs> out, of, out of respect that I didn't do that. And, and, uh, and so the Brahmin was like, you have no you have no tact or you have no taste. And Lord Buddha kept saying, it is true. You could say that I have no taste if you mean that I have no taste for, you know, hatred or material things or all these things. But I know that's that's not what you meant. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then he finally funny. lays it all out. This is what happened to me when I was meditating under the Bodhi tree. I went through this stage of this stage. This happened. This happened. And then finally, I remembered all my past lives. And then it was all clear. And here I am. And finally, the Brahmin said, I want to be one of your lay people. Can I follow you? And then so it was a really nice introduction to uh, to, mm. to the story. But I'm getting sidetracked. So, That's fine. so, um, so who is so? OK, so. Um... 
Um, well, it's a good little background, but who, who do you know much about the history of Mahavir? So was he, you mentioned he was a king or he was a, he was no, a, he was a, uh, he was, he a, was a holy man who was the teacher of the king. He was a he teacher was, of the he, king. Okay. So do you yeah. know, what kind of like, is there any, did you ever read like the background, like what kind of family, like we know that, um, uh, Buddha came from, you know, a royal royalty in Nepal, basically, right? Like a royal, I've, I've like, heard he was that, like a prince, you know, he lived a very lavish life. And once he left his sort of like, right. you know, com palace complex, that's when he started like, oh, there's actually poor people. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard reference made to Mahavir being from the same caste as Lord Buddha. Okay. So, so it seems, I mean, in a way, a person could like, you know, make a little joke about how, you know, rich kids are the ones that that go off and start talking about it's all about non-materialism man poor <laughs> people are like easy for you to say you know right, uh, right you grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth and you want to talk about let's get rid of money you know right we're just no, trying to get, uh, we're just trying to make ends meet here you know but uh yeah <laughs> for, sure, for sure so uh this mahavir he was one he was in the shramana movement and then he sort of founded his own school which is called jainism right well yes and no um this is parshvanat He's the 23rd Tirtankara. So, Tirtankara, interesting. So what is that? Yeah. So Tirtankara, now being an ignorant American, um, I didn't know what a Ford was other than a car. <laughs> but apparently a Ford, it's like has to do with like getting from one side of the river to the other side of the right. river. There's mm -hmm. certain currents that can carry you across. And that made me think immediately of the Heart Sutra, which ends with, to the other side, to the other side, enlightened, you know, mm. thoroughly to the other side, you know, to the other shore. Mm. And so that's the idea of a Tirtankara. They, it's a religious ford. So it's a person who, by following them, it's like you're going into a channel that will carry you from the side of mundane existence to the, to the other side of the river, which is enlightenment. Mm. Um, and... But there were there were there were twenty at least according to the story. Now a person, of course, just like with anything with Buddhism with Christianity, you could say, "Oh, someone made it up hundreds of years later." Okay, maybe you could say that. But if we take them at their word, now I had this up here, but I I, I lost it. Um, there there was the the first Tirtankara. Basically, these were three hundred years apart. So uh, Parthvanat was in the 9th century BC, and uh, Mahavir was in the 6th century BC, and then there's 22 other ones, and the earliest one, of course, some of the writing says, you know, he was so 100 feet tall and lived for a million years, and, you know, things get exaggerated over time, but, you know, there's, uh, there's statues in the Indus River Valley Civilization ruins that seem to be doing Jainist specific um, like, like uh, poses. They have certain poses they do where Lord Buddha is basically all about sitting, you know, as far as meditation sitting. But in Jainism, they, they have certain practices they do where you stand and you step in a certain way. And so there's kind of that relationship with yoga there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it seems that, it seems that, uh, and again, this is, you know, the best, the best I've been able to piece together, and I'm not, I didn't go to, you know, didn't get a master's degree and all this stuff, but I just sort of, you know, uh, I've got these books that I got from that Jain temple. Oh, what are, what are those, uh, what are the titles of those? Um, this is Samayik Sutra, 
The Samhain Sutra, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's actually 25 different sutras. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll give you a link. You can put it in the description if you want of yours, and I'll put it in the description of mine that will take take people to, to my recital of all 25, because you can't really find this on Amazon. Okay. Um, yeah. But uh, but so it's, like, it's the, uh, uh, like the major like holy texts of Jainism. Yeah, but they were written at around the same time as Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, the second century BC. Uh, okay. So so there's nothing that I know of that's written down from the sixth century. Nobody's saying, "Hey, I'm sitting here, I'm watching Mahavir teach the king." You know, that, like uh, the nice thing about uh, Ehe Dogen. Master Dogen is there was a scribe sitting there writing down his exact words. And so it's it's by reading it, at least the English translation, it even says what the weather was like. It's 1 a.m. Mm -hmm. It's Thursday. It's April. It's 1242. We're at this temple. It's pouring right. rain right now. We're freezing our asses off, but Dogen <laughs> won't stop talking, you know, and, and right. he's this is what he's saying. So you can really kind of like astral project there. But yeah, the best yeah, we yeah. can do with this. To piece together is from this the the sutras in the second century which sound a whole lot like the yoga sutras like mm -hmm. uh talking about the uh the yamas and the niyamas mm -hmm. um and uh and so it makes me wonder because i've heard i've heard you know my yoga teacher down in mysore talking about how a lot of yoga comes from jainism but i've heard other people you know white teenage, you know, yoga teachers and, you know, well, 20-something yoga teachers in California say that Jainism comes from yoga. I mean, whoever, whichever, if someone's a hardcore Jainist, then they want to say it all comes from Jainism. And if somebody's a hardcore yogi, they want to say it all comes from yoga. But I, I don't know. I mean, because if, <clears throat> if they're right and the first Chirtankara goes back, you know, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 years, um, then, you know, maybe yoga comes from Jainism and then, and then people want to, you know, the people from the Vedic traditions want to say, well, yeah, these ascetic traditions, you know, maybe they came from Jainism, but they worked their way into the Upanishads or the, you know, vice versa. So it's all kind of mixed up and it's hard to, and, and, and people have strong, strong opinions about where things came from. Uh, but sure, it seems sure. to me well, that, like you yeah. said, it was a reaction against, and I was, I'm sorry, I'm babbling so much, but yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, but it's true that most, I think most uh, Buddhists will say it comes from Buddhism. Most Jains will say it comes from Jainism. Hindus will yeah. say Hinduism. However, I think when you really, we don't have a clear, you know, track of where it came from. However, it's clear that the Shramana movement is what led to yoga, which led to these movements. So I almost see it as like a soup where these different, like maybe yoga is the core. People are experimenting with their breath, experimenting with posture, with meditation. And then you have these different branches. You have Jainism. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Where they all grow out of. It doesn't necessarily need to be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. More multidimensional, nonlinear happening simultaneously, perhaps, right? At least now it is. If we had a time machine, then we could go find back. It's sort of in that quantum state of unknowing like uh right but yeah, yeah but definitely jainism is more kind of organized where yeah, yoga yoga is more broad like the way that the yoga sutras was written it's not now that you're a member of the school of the yoga sutras you are a follower of patanjali no patanjali was yeah. saying hey let me let you know what the yogis have been doing since god knows when 
and mm. then just kind of laying it all out. These are the steps. These are the the eight limbs, and this is how to be a yogi. Go right. be a yogi. <clears throat> and you know, it might be of assistance to find someone who's already a master to help you along the way, but it isn't exactly necessary. Um, where where Jainism is there and now here's what one one aspect of where i mean i was kind of like i'll just say it's a theory and i don't mean for the scientific aware aware science literate people i don't mean a theory i mean how us idiots outside of the scientific community use it <laughs> speculation like a hypothesis yeah it's a speculation i yeah. guess yeah. not not a theory in the stricter sense of the word that uh that that lord buddha was kind of learned Jainism and then said, okay, yes, but here's what we're going to do. It, it, it's almost like there was too much gatekeeping. And when he talks about Mahavir, he uses a phrase that means too restrictive. Um, so, so I think that's kind of where he was coming from was by, by allowing there to be hundreds of monks in his order and his rules that'll get you kicked out. He only has a few rules that'll get you kicked out. And there's so many bad, bad things you can do and not get kicked out. But there's like levels of punishment and things like that. Um, and so he was very, but he was basically saying, you know, stay on the path, keep going, work at it, try not to give into your, you know, baser nature. And if you do give into your baser nature and, you know, do this and this and this, then we need to have a talk. If you do this extreme thing, then you get kicked out. You can't be a monk anymore. Mm. Where where the Jainist order was much more strict and specific and kind of gatekeepy. And but it, it, in Buddha's day, there was more emphasis on that uh, on how the layman, instead of like that, basically, if you can't become enlightened yourself, then you should worship the enlightened people, which mm. is kind of like. Huh. All right. And they also had an interesting thing, which actually almost has a ring of truth to it. I, I don't mean to like be so disrespectful, but it's sort of like they were saying that the gods in heaven, the gods like Shiva and all these gods are are are, are made of and that the only oh, wait, gods that, that are the, real, the Janus, okay, uh -huh. they, they were saying that the only gods that are real are men. Or women, you might say, but they probably just meant men, you know, people, humans who become enlightened and become omniscient. They also had an emphasis on, on omniscience, which mm -hmm. wasn't, it was kind of implied. And I mean, it wasn't as much emphasized in early Buddhism. Mm -hmm. um, in, enlightenment was more like you're free from the, uh, the, the suffering that comes with kind of shooting yourself in the foot with, with clinging. Um, that you 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 have mastery over your own mind and you don't cling anymore and you you know there there's this the CDs you know uh, which is uh, kind of an interesting yeah. event, which is which is where Powers you, are, you yeah. get a little bit psychic or something and then yeah, yeah. you know sometimes they say people levitate and all that but Mahavir was supposed to be all knowing he knew everything omniscient mm -hmm. uh, he okay. knew what you were going to say before you said it and there's a little bit of that with Buddha where nobody lies to the Buddha because they know that he can tell if they're lying <laughs> sort of all knowing and he, he knows all of his past lives and things right. like that um yeah, the, these days there's a lot of like non-spiritual Buddhists secular Buddhists who kind oh, yeah. of want to de-emphasize de right. um anything that's hocus pocus 
and kind right. of make it all about, no, it's scientific. It's perfectly, totally rational. It's not a religion. It's a philosophy and there's nothing spiritual about it. Right. And it's like, if it's not spiritual, I mean, the, the word spiritual has a slippery meaning, right. um, but, but definitely there's spiritual things about it, you know, and in the earliest texts of Buddhism, Lord Buddha, there was uh, one of his students was saying, I saw a ghost and the ghost had knives coming out of its head. And then the other students were saying, he's crazy, he's lying. And Lord Buddha was saying, actually, I saw the ghost with the knives coming out of his head too. So <laughs> has right. the ability to see astral, you know. Right. And so that's that's the, the earliest texts of Buddhism. So. Right, for sure, for sure. So uh, Mahavir, you said he's the 24th, what'd you call it? Kirtankara. Okay, yeah. okay. And then later on, these uh, the books you had, the Sama, what'd you call it? The Sama? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, the various sutras, there's the, the Namaskar Sutra. The book, if you can find it, is called the Samayik Sutra. Samayik Sutra, okay. And there's uh, there's 25 sutras within it, and in the description below, you can find me reciting all 25 with commentary and jokes, and uh, sometimes so I get sidetracked. And, well, since you read, I mean, obviously, I'd imagine it was an oral tradition, like like every other tradition, up until they finally, you know, codified these sutras. But right, um, what, what were your? I mean, you read these also. What were some takeaways? What were some perhaps differences between other traditions yeah. or some unique uh, aspects that you learned from reading those books? One thing, I, I mean, I I had a further, like, okay, for example, um, he talks about, like, the things that we learn in the high school book, that the Jainists are so nonviolent that they, they use a soft brush to brush the path in front of them so that they don't accidentally harm any small insects or ants. We, we all kind of hear that. People who've heard of Jainism, that's usually one of the things they hear. Um, so there's a sutra where um, it's an apology and a, a, a repentance for the animals and creatures, sentient beings that we did harm today or that we did harm without knowing it. Um, so, so the best we can do is to, is to do our best to not intentionally harm a sentient being. So naturally they're vegetarians and, okay. uh, and they, you know, they at least that's seems to be what's implied. And I'll get into a little bit about that with Buddhism. That's kind of an interesting nuance about that. But, um, so they, they, and, but they talk about, um, small, small creatures with five senses, four senses, three senses, two senses, and one sense. Which is like, that's pretty advanced thinking for 6th century BC, I think. I mean, <laughs> kind of thinking that far, that there's things that are so small that you can't see them or you can barely see them, that they have, they don't have sight, sound, they only have touch. Mm. You know, or, uh, I mean, we know that there's photosensitive, uh, you know, not just chlorophyll, but like uh, there are our earliest single cell ancestors, not the earliest, but the, the sure. ones that, single the cell eye was just and, right, right, right. The ones that would come toward the surface of the water when the sun was out, or they would go away from the sun if it was too bright, and they, they started to survive better than the ones that couldn't sense light. So, so you, that light sensitivity. It, yeah, they see it as sort of like a, a grave sin to hurt or kill anything that has any sort of uh, intelligence or sentience or? Well, their definition of sentience, I mean, you know, you hear people in the West saying, well, fish aren't really sentient and neither are chickens, but I think pigs are. But their definition of sentient includes 
like things, just a tiny little blob that, that only has the sense of touch, that's a sentient being. And so you're not supposed to harm any sentient being. And then Lord Buddha, that, that, I mean, one thing that kind of made me think that, that there's something to my theory, of course, then it could be that, you know, of the 60 different religions in that movement, that, you know, 55 of them were all similar to Buddhism and Jainism, and that the, those weird examples that they gave are just weird examples. They're, like the, they're the extreme ends, yeah. Right, the, the total materialist and the guy who thinks there's no afterlife and all these different things. Um, but, but yeah, Lord Buddha didn't want people digging. He thought that digging in the ground would harm sentient beings mm. or, um, or, or starting a fire just to sit around the fire and have fun. Like, like if starting a fire to survive or because you're ill was okay, but not like just get a log and starting a fire because you don't know what's living in that log, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so he was definitely, it was like taken for granted. At least I haven't read the whole Tipitaka. I'm only reading the rules. Sure. So it, but it seems like there's some things that are already taken for granted when he stops to, 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 to tell the rules and they're, they're the things that are sort of established in the uh, Jain Sutras. So I was kind right. of imagining that, that maybe Lord Buddha knew the Jain Sutras or maybe that they, they were common knowledge back then mm -hmm. um, that everybody kind of had heard of at least sentiments like these. Um, right, right, right. Well, it sounds like uh, Jainism is really, it's like it takes everything very literal and carefully like, oh, you can't, you know, so for example, in Buddhism, intention is very important. Like, sure, maybe you're going to go, right. you know, you got to go pick up your daughter from school and help her, you know, get her yeah. education. And if you accidentally step on a bug on the way there, I mean, that's, part, you know. Yeah, in Jainism, you're out there in, in Jainism, you have to apologize in right. a chant. There's a chant for apologizing and repenting from, from the unintentional harming of sentient beings, where in Lord Buddha's order, he just says, if it was unintentional, there's no wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. You didn't do anything. No, no harm, no foul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No crime, no So foul. like if, uh, but, yeah. if there's living things, if there's living things swimming around in some water and you use that water to put out a fire, to wash, to drink, um, and, but, and if you knew there was living things in there, then it's a wrongdoing. The difference, yeah. uh, but if you, if you just took it and absentmindedly drank it, then, you know, pay attention next time, but you didn't do anything wrong, you know. So other than that, like, you know, the extreme, um, you know, uh, adherence to nonviolence, right? Ahimsa. What, what are some other unique traits of Jainism right. that you learned? What are some other, like, uh, codified practices or um, suggestions? Let me see if I can jog my memory, because it's been like a couple of years. Oh, yeah, it has been a while since I, you read those. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me just kind of flip through. Also, um, do, you, do you notice, because okay. you... You went to um, another question too, because you went to yeah. what, what's the name uh, in Bahir? Bahir, Rajgir. Rajgir, yeah. So I mean, yeah. there are probably a lot of Jain temples there too, right? Like uh, iconography and statues and yeah, those lines. So are they how much different, like aesthetically too? Like are they like the designs are way different mm. than Hindu or uh, Buddhist temples? I mean, I think they have more in common with Hindu, but. Bodh Gaya looks a lot like a Hindu temple, like the, the Mahabodhi temple. So I think that it's more to do with region and time period. So I think okay. India has 
India has a style and uh, and then, you know, Nepal has a style, Tibet has a style. Right, um, it's more regional kind of architecture. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> Indonesia has a style. And so <clears throat> since Buddhism was basically 99.9% .9 wiped out um, about a thousand-ish years ago, 800 years ago uh, with the... It, it, it happened at the same time as the Mughal, you know, uh, emperors took over India um, who were Muslim and didn't really like Buddhism for whatever reason. I mean, they seem to dislike Buddhism more than they disliked Hinduism. Um, I can only speculate. I can only guess as to why that was. Um, I've, I've spoken to present day Muslims who don't feel that way. Um, but uh, but there was also apparently, you know, uh, it's an oversimplification apparently to say that the Muslims came in and got rid of Buddhism because there was also, uh, Buddhism was becoming less popular for other reasons at the time. Um, but anyway, what was I saying? So, so, so Buddhism continued to exist, obviously, in China, Japan, Thailand, you name it, you know, Sri yeah. Lanka and, and Burma and Indonesia. So then in more recent centuries, in the last like a uh, couple hundred years, and especially in, since India's independence, a lot of um, Buddhist organizations and temples from all of those regions have you know, been more than happy to establish branches of themselves here in sort of, sort of the motherland, you know, right. where it all kind of So it all comes from. full so, circle, basically, yeah. 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 So you'll cool. find a lot of, like, Sri Lankan or Burmese Theravadan uh, Buddhism or, you know, uh, Chinese-based uh, or, or Thai-based, like, Mahayana Buddhists, or especially Japanese. Um, Rajgir... Japan, there's this love, this love affair between Japan and India. Yeah. Like I think they, I mean, Japan, when when India has like a like a big problem or an epidemic, Japan is like, do you need how many billion dollars do you need? You're like, yeah. you don't have to pay us back. And India's like, please, we'll, you know, like <laughs> we've got to pay you back. You gave us billions of dollars right at the moment we needed it. And and Japan's <laughs> like, like if you have any old Buddhist statues or, you know, like, like something from like a thousand or 2000 years ago that you can part with. And so then, so as a result, you'll find all these like ancient, ancient Indian things in uh, Buddhist temples in Japan and all the, all these like, you know, formal plaques saying special thanks to Japan for bailing us out. And, uh, and so there's a lot of things in Rajgir that are written in Hindi, English and Japanese. Or, or Japanese hotels, and there's um, a Japanese pagoda that's sort of famous. It's one of the, the white pagodas that are sort of everywhere in Asia. I, th I think you probably have seen. In uh, uh, Okara, they have one too as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh -huh. I think there's at least two in Nepal, and uh, yeah. there's a, a few in, in uh, there's one in Lumbini, the birthplace of the Buddha. So there's a lot of like obeisance. I had to learn the word obeisance. There's a lot of words from like 18th, 19th century and early 20th century English that are just used commonly in, in India. Uh, obeisance, which is sort of like the act of prostrating is an expression of obeisance, which mm. is like... Uh, like tell down, or, pay your respects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it, being American, we're not into that. <laughs> Mm. So what hey, yeah, hey, really reasons not. to no one, you know, like that's sort of 
Right. So were the Janes sort of like fully ingrained in the caste system? Do they kind of maintain that? Oh no, they're they're uh, outside. That that's, that's right, yeah. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, because they're uh, part of the Shermana. They're kind of the dropout. Movement, right. You know, the yogi. Yeah, yeah. Yogi they movement. were like a counterculture. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And that, and so they consider themselves, and, you know, if you if you buy into the the story, the origin story of them, they were here first. The the right. Aryans brought all that Vedic stuff with, you know. Ah, okay, interesting. And slightly they, controversial, you know, to they, talk they, about that. But they also hold views of like reincarnation and the other, yeah, yeah, the sort of doctrinal views. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so yeah, so the in the Vedic tradition, the Brahmin caste are the people uh, who who hold the religious authority. That if your if your father's father's father was the local priest, then you're going to grow up and be the local priest. And uh, then if your father's father's father was a warrior, then you're going to be a warrior or a king if you're lucky. But, uh, you know, they, you're not supposed to mix between these castes. And so so the uh, the Shramana traditions all kind of look at that and go, yeah, that's dumb. You know, I mean, so it's kind of nice, you know, like, I mean, I agree with that aspect of, the, of those traditions. And Lord Buddha, even in Dhammapada, the most famous of the, uh, the Tibitaka uh, texts, I was there's a whole section where he says if you are true to to your spiritual you know he says if you do this if you practice this if you if your word and your actions are the same and you condemn materialism and you embrace love for for all sentient beings and you know this and that then I call you a brahmin if you have matted hair and an orange cloth over yourself and your father came from some family as opposed to some other family i do not call you a brahmin it's like yeah. okay that's pretty damn direct you know he's, he's not not pulling any punches with his anti-caste system thing there but then it's just sort of in casual speech he'll he'll make reference to you know uh people of people of this class for this class or the untouchables you know i mean it's just sort of like normal for them to talk that way, probably like it's normal for us to make reference to different demographics in in our society, where maybe in 2000 years, people might like listen to our podcast and say, said African American, oh my God, you know, how weird, you know, it's like, well, yeah, that was something we said back then. Um, It wasn't, I wasn't looking down on them when I said it. I don't think when when Lord Buddha talks about lower caste people, He's. I don't think he's looking down on them. He's just he's explaining something. Right. You know? Right. But he he does differentiate, and oddly, I mean, in the rules, I'm like reading these rules, like really now, you know, like uh, when you're when you're if you're gonna talk sexually to a woman, you're you're not supposed to make make lewd references when talking to a woman, and by woman, I mean. Uh, you know, a lady of a certain caste who's educated and knows the language you're speaking. And it's like, okay, with all these clarifications, you're giving monks like, okay, so go find someone who speaks a different language and is dirty and from a lower caste. And you can say whatever you want to that woman, you know, it's kind of of odd, kind of odd. But But it's interesting, like there's rules about like talking with your mouth full or chewing with your mouth open and stuff like that. They're the lowest rules. There's like, you know, 90 something of the lowest rules and it gets into really specific things. I'm like, wow, 2,600 years ago, he's saying, don't don't talk with your mouth full, you know, like that. 
Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of emphasis on worshiping of the Tirthankaras. Okay. Which is, is so something they that- them, I, They see them as sort of these holy- They're gods. That, they're the okay. gods of Jainism. And they, 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 are they said to like reincarnate? Are they almost like bodhisattvas and they come back and they reincarnate or are they? They don't get into that. They, okay. Yeah, the bodhisattva concepts developed later mm -hmm. um, within Buddhism as far as I well, know. Well, Mahayana, that's true. Okay, good point. Yeah. These, these uh, Tirtankaras, they are, are they said to be like one incarnation or they just like randomly pop up? Do you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, they kind of they, randomly so I guess pop up like, as the sort of avatar, like, they like avatar kind of. Like the, I think the idea is when when the teachings of Jainism have been forgotten, then a new Tirthankara is born to bring them back. So it's a, I think Buddhism kind of borrowed that concept from from Jainism a little bit. You know, I, I mean maybe or maybe Jainism borrowed it from Buddhism. It's hard to say mm -hmm. um, because I mean Jainism I think was it's you know safe to say was influenced. Well, Buddhism. well, the Hindu Just like, that too, right? Like the 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 yugas, and then in the degenerate age, the avatar. Right, that's you true. Know, that's true. Comes to bring back the, you know, yeah, in the order or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that I think uh, I I mean it. The way I was looking at it, Buddhism was sort of like the equivalent of. I don't know Lutheranism if Jainism were Catholicism. I mean, these aren't exact you know, by any means or even close. But I, but in, in other words, um, the one influenced the other, they both influenced each other. Mm -hmm. So Jainism might've been around first, but I think that Jainism, you know, kind of like Buddhism was saying, this is what's wrong with Jainism. And the Jainists were like, maybe they have a point. Maybe we should <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> you know, because you don't find anybody like in, encouraging starving yourself in Jainism. But sure. that seemed to be something that maybe the Buddhists, the early Buddhists, were like, you don't need to starve yourself. Just you right, know, right. don't pig out, you know, just eat a little bit. It's fine, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I'm just flipping through. Um, oh, you're not supposed to, like, sit in a seat that someone of the opposite sex, it assumes, you know, heteronormative, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it has, uh, has sat in recently. So, you're, you know, like like you know down to that much like so it's go beyond it lord buddha's time it's don't touch a woman with desire in your heart the, mm -hmm. jainism says avoid sitting in a seat that a woman has been sitting in mm -hmm. you know for the for the previous hour so it's a little more extreme with that stuff they yeah. both say don't do the hanky panky but <laughs> uh as far as hanky panky adjacent or you know things that could potentially one day lead to hanky panky right. um, jainism seems to be a little <laughs> more strict <laughs> um, where you know Buddhism maybe that's, is why, like, maybe that's why Jainism died out you know so much I mean well it didn't I mean, it didn't catch I mean, on it it's still died. there didn't fully yeah I, how do how do Jainists procreate you know what I mean it's like oh well this is just the people that are on the uh the path so like there's the the monks there's five levels oh, there's okay. uh there's there's the arhants, which just sounds like arhats. You know, it's like some of the words are the same in Buddhism and Jainism. So it's probably just local dialects. Arhats are like the, the enlightened, the ones who went beyond. The well, enlightened. they're actually, gosh, I wish I had it memorized. I talk about it in those 25. If I recall correctly, yeah, the arhants are, if I recall correctly, this is a big if, 
um, people who have rejected all the bad within them, but they're they're not enlightened. So they're like almost they're, enlightened. They're on the they're on the threshold, kind of. They're at the yeah. They're worshipped. Um, so the 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 CDs, and again, I might be getting it wrong. So I'll just say five levels because I remember it. It's almost like a hierarchy. And in the order, I was like, oh, this is like the the imperator, the premonstrator, and the cancellarius because there's one of the five levels is the people who do all the admin work for the temple. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. So there's the teachers. Um, and the, the, the lowest rung is the sadhu. Okay. The sadhu, and that's a word familiar, you know, in, in uh, Vedic traditions these days as well, right. which is, a, a sadhu is somebody who has said, I promise not to mm -hmm. eat meat or have sex or, you know, I, I, I promise to stay on the path. That's mm -hmm. a sadhu. Um, yeah, is okay. someone who's who's dedicated themselves. So they're there to be honored, but not worshipped. Okay. Um, and uh, and they, then there's the teachers, and then there's so that's a sadhu who's gotten to a certain level to where they can teach. And then there's um, the people who then there's a another level. I think the like the admin, you know, like the the yeah. temple admin. Mm -hmm. And then there's the the arhants, which is the people who've rejected their, uh, they've let go of clinging, they've let go of desire, and they have no, they have no uh, temptation anymore. They've, they've overcome temptation. And then there's the top level is the people who become enlightened, mm. which are basically kind of on par with the Tirtankara. So they're um, there around Tirtankara level, basically. Yeah. Um, and so the Arhants and the Tirtankaras and the that top level are considered gods to be worshipped. Um, mm -hmm. And I, again, when 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 you when translated into English, English started out yeah. as I mean, the, the day that they used Roman letters to write in Anglo-Saxon vernacular was the day that the first rules were written about the church in in uh, in, in Kent. I don't know if you know that story, but uh, so it was Not the familiar, King of Kent yeah. and St. Augustine saying, if you steal <laughs> from the church, you have to pay it back times 12 was the first sentence writ written in English. And mm -hmm. every everything about English, it has, it has Christianity tied up in it and Christian uh, connotation. Even even for somebody from a, a family who hasn't been whose re, whose great grandparents rejected Christianity and became an atheist will still have a certain ring. So it sounds weird to say we worship these people as gods because of the of the way that worship it rings the bell that so, bell. So they, yeah, they don't the really they don't necessarily worship it. these people because they don't see them as gods but they're more respected would you say or they're more admired or they're like role models they see of? them as much as gods as a hindu sees shiva as god or as a god which okay. maybe could be comparable i mean i think that's where where there's kind of a clashing between um you know ardent islamic practitioners and ardent Hindu practitioners where the people that are like, you know, a, like a Sufi master or a high person over here versus like a, a Brahmin or somebody who's a, a yogi who has an ashram, they tend to get along. They'll, they'll have great conversations all night about spirituality. It's the lay people that find, mm -hmm. you know, the, the lay people that just sort of have get the scraps and say, my scraps are superior to your scraps. I've got yeah, the real yeah. stuff. Yours is fake. Right. Um, but but it's like it, to to say 
you know, Allah is, it, you know, is or L or, or God, capital G in English. Um, I, even in English, there's capital G God and lowercase g God. So they consider sure. Tirtankar as lowercase g gods. There's no monotheistic God or first cause, basically. Right? Yeah, they don't get into that. Yeah, yeah they, they don't get into capital G gods. Mm. Um, so from their perspective, you know, like a person could come from the outside and say, so you don't believe in a capital G God? And they say, oh, well, we... We have the Tutankars, there are gods. So they 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 believe that the 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 best being that uh that that you can find is an enlightened human. Mm, okay. That, that there there aren't these other imaginary beings coming down from heaven and stuff like that. So mm. it's kind of like halfway between sort of religion and atheism in a way. In a way, know? yeah, that's true. Yeah, because yeah. I was just looking at this UK summary of Jainism. Some, uh, University of London, actually. So this, it says, um, yeah, it says, no gods. Jains don't believe in any spiritual beings. It is more or less based on self-reliance, not on the assistance of God. So they don't, yeah, as you said, basically, right? Right. And, uh, it also and, says, uh, this is interesting, two denominations. Yeah. One of them believes you can have clothes, it sounds like. The other ones say that it has to do strictly with matters of attire. The Digambara mm. sect monks are not allowed any possessions. This even includes clothing. Right. So those that, are, that that yeah. sounds like yeah. There's like the extreme hardcore. The like hardcore, for example, yeah, yeah. I, I think the the Agori seem to be coming the other way, where where they there's uh, there's people who are Agori in their religion and practice, but they are they work in IT. You know, no, and no, then right, there's the, sure. the the people who live in the charnel grounds and actually right. eat you know, uh, munch on human bones and stuff like that. And those, so those are two distinct types of agori. And Jainism, I think there's probably, you could divide it more than that. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, but the, the uh, average Jainist, you know, uh, probably 90, 99% of Jainists yeah. wear clothes. Yeah. yeah um, right, Mahavir yeah. was famous for being naked, though. He walked around naked all the time. Oh, okay, so okay. He went okay. to, so he he went to see the king naked. Wow. And, okay, that's different uh, then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and Lord Buddha often talks about the naked ascetics, and I always wonder if he's talking about the Jainists, you know. Mm. But the, the naked ascetics, they don't seem like Jainists in the story when mm. he's talking about someone. Someone went and joined the naked ascetics. And, Ma Mahavrata. So it says Jainism has five Mahavratas, and the one we all know is the you know extreme adherence to nonviolence, ahimsa, which we discussed. Oh, right. But mm -hmm. also, as you mentioned, uh, non-attachment, uh, not lying, not stealing, yeah. sexual restraint with yeah. uh, celibacy, the ideal, as you mentioned, right? Uh, Which And they, they even use the same words that the yogis use. Those are the five yamas. Mm. So, uh, ahimsa, brahmacharya. Yeah, right. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Austria, I've forgotten. Uh, Asteya, yeah, Asteya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got it, you got it. Uh-huh. Interesting, okay. Uh, oh. Right, right, okay. Um, I'm still flipping through looking for, yeah, so it's a, a lot of like, you know, obeisance, obey, obey the, uh, the teachings of the teacher, you know. Well, this is interesting too. It says there are seven mm. tattvas. Uh, the tattvas are the fundamental are fundamental to truth, uh, which constitute reality. So you have these are the soul, 
the non-souls, the influx of matter into the soul, the mixing of the soul and the karmas, the obstruction of matter into the soul. <laughs> this is actually interesting. The gradual dissociation of karmic matter from the soul and liberation. Liberation or oh, mold, like mold seven mold. steps. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it sounds. How like interesting! It. You know, wow. Liberation or moksha is considered to be the attainment of an entirely. Oh, the seven sampadas. Free from karma. Mm. That's the. That must be the seven sampadas. I read about that, but somehow I didn't remember it. But yeah, it's. I. I mean, it's sort of mentioned as a footnote in one of these sutras. Um, yeah. Yeah. How cool! What's interesting in all of these like shramana-based movements, like the yoga, the shift, and then what later you know comes to be born out of that, like uh, you know the yoga sutras, the Vedantas, the Buddhists, the Shaivites, the Tantrikas, all these movements talk about moksha. It's like the goal is liberation, moksha, yeah. right? Which yeah. which most of them define in very similar ways, right? Like you're beyond. So even for them, they say that moksha is considered to be the attainment of a state free from any karmic influences so it's like you're off of the rat race right. you're, you're beyond cause and effect you're beyond birth yeah. effect, basically so interesting that there are all these different paths but there it looks sounds like they all want the same goal of moksha right that's what yeah right? yeah Where the vedantic or the vedic traditions are more about you know uh being born in a higher caste <laughs> or you know like if, if you do do good do you know if you do bad things you're born in a lower caste if you do good things you're born in a higher caste mm. and uh so it's kind of like assumed you're going to keep going round and round and so these these are the guys that have the audacity to come in and say it is possible there mm. is a path there is a there way is a, you can get out, out of the loop yeah, you know, this cast, cast rat race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It says, yeah, also vegetarianism, uh, fasting, prayers, meditation, festivals, rituals, pilgrimages, and monasticism. So I figure they're probably their main temple is that one in Rag. I keep forgetting the name. Ragnish, what'd you say? Uh, Rajkir. Rajkir. I mean, oh, you... They must have their main temple there, right? Like they're... Well, there's more than one branch. So oh, it depends okay. on who you ask. But I mean, they, they they probably have their like ancient historical ones, you know, and, and this and that. Um, I, the one we visited wasn't like a main one, um, but it was like one of the well-known branches. And uh, yeah, it was just nice to see the people and, you know, they were like well-dressed. It was like they were, you know, dressed up to go to a wedding, like in saris and this kind of thing, but wearing makeup and kind of perfume. And, uh, and and things like that too. I mean, the women. I mean, obviously, the men weren't wearing sorry, but uh, <laughs> but you know, like like dressed up to to go to the temple museum or to maybe they were going to a function. Um, you know, just sort of like like if you like. I mean, I've noticed from going to different sorts of churches. Like if you go to a Greek Orthodox church on Easter, mm. then people are are dressed up like they're going to a high function. You know, like they're going to be you know, like dressed up like they're going to the Academy Awards or something. And they're sure, going, sure. Or something, you know. Right, but yeah, if you go to like a Protestant church on, on a regular Sunday, then, you know, their clothes are clean. Right. <laughs> you know, like like uh, they're not wearing dirty clothes. Yeah, they're all different. Know, yeah, you know, different you know, uh, strands. Maybe, whatever. Different yeah, cultures, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it says uh, the Jains are vegetarian, but they also cannot eat. Uh, so no meat and fish, obviously, no eggs. 
also no onions. Oh man, no potatoes. Oh, no potatoes. That's oh, it. and no garlic. Oh man, just shoot me in the head already. I maybe well... because <laughs> maybe it 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 arouses you know some kind of it arouses desire. Like I said, more strict. Mm. So like yeah, less popular. So if you come in, you know, to to a, a new place, I've got a new teaching to teach you. Oh, what is it? Okay, well first when you pray, you have to put this little piece of cloth in front of your face and also you have to stand like this and then do this at this time and when you wake up in the morning you do this there are like you know what i'm already bored i'm gonna it's like oh and no onions no onions I, uh, <laughs> okay. so where where with buddhism you know, they're, they're like okay no no meat he's still here uh Okay, no, <laughs> yeah. garlic, so, hey, no garlic, I'm out, bro. I'm out. It's <laughs> like the final, like, uh, what would you say, like, screening? Yeah. Screening it's like, a, I mean, it's a, a more extreme example of that is the difference between, like, for example, early Christianity versus Judaism. It's like, well, sure. what do I have to do to be a part of this? And it's like, well, there is some precedent for becoming one of us when you weren't previously one of us, but you do have to cut off part of your penis, and then <laughs> my brother might kill you in your sleep. <laughs> so, no. Hey, no big deal, though. No big deal. Uh, I'm going to go with Paul. <laughs> so Jainism is actually, this is interesting, it's the ninth biggest religion in the world. So it comes after Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Judaism, Baha'ism, Confucianism, then Jainism. I should clarify, by the way, I'm talking about biblical times, making a joke. Sure. Of course, if you yeah. want to convert to Judaism today, there's plenty of places you can go. They'd be glad to have you. But yeah, I was making a joke based on it's a sensitive time to be making jokes about Judaism. Oh, but oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Come shalom, state. everybody. Let's <laughs> uh, all okay. be friends. <laughs> okay, good, interesting. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here. Very interesting. It mentions, um, okay, the ten virtues are um, uh, forgiveness, humility, straightforward. Mm. Oh, I like this one, straightforwardness. I've never really seen mm. that in a religion, right? Like, you got to be straightforward. Hey, quit beating around the bush. You yeah. Know? Like, I, I haven't heard a religion say, you got to be straightforward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's one, there's, there's one of the rules in, in, uh, yeah, for monks. That's sort of like that. I'm trying to remember the exact word, but go on. There were, yeah, what were yeah. the others? Okay, I'll go. Uh, it says uh, forgiveness, humility, straightforwardness, truthfulness, uh, purity, self-restraint, penance, renunciation, non-possessiveness, and celibacy. Ooh. Mm. All right. Yeah, that's yeah, a hard sell. A real yeah. hard sell. <laughs> no sex, yeah. no garlic, no meat. Oh, man. And it's like if you if you want to have sex, you can be still be part of the religion, but you 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 can't be on the path. You can't be a monk. You can't be you know like mm. one of the the temple people. I mean, they have uh, celibate uh, monks and nuns in a variety of religions, including sure. Buddhism and you know even uh, um, Catholic priests, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, there is a. Goma Teshwara statue located in the Indian state of Karnataka. Uh, it is a 57 oh, Karnataka. Oh, Karnataka, sorry. Mm. 57 foot tall. It is the largest freestanding statue. So this must be of Mahavira, I believe. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, about 7 million adherents to the religion. Uh, oh, interesting. So the photo I see here, they almost look like they're dressed in like. It almost looks like Muslim gear, like sort of like 
hijabs or something like that. Hmm. But maybe that's just this picture that I have here. Interesting. Um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the, the the part that sounds really interesting to me, I'd have to look into this. That that part about the six eternal substances, where you have like the soul and then the matter entering the soul and then taking the matter out of the soul. That sounds interesting. Sounds like alchemy. Yeah. Oh, there's also yeah, very interesting. And there's also the, there uh, there are six eternal substances, the living entities, uh, the souls, right, and the non-living entities, which are subdivided into matter motion rest space and time so it's like wow. like sentient like you mentioned like sentient life versus mm -hmm. like matter non-sentient you know yeah on or something like that it seems like yeah 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 oh i was i was going to mention in uh in lord buddha's order if you go around begging for food like you do when you're a monk mm -hmm. and uh and somebody offers you meat you eat it Mm -hmm. um, but what if they say, what would you like tomorrow? You, you're not allowed to say, I'd like some more meat tomorrow, please. That's, <laughs> you're not allowed to do that. In fact, you're not allowed to like specify what you want them to give you. Um, right. Here, here's an, it's, that reminds me of Judaism. <laughs> How many, in Judaism, you're not supposed to eat like pork, obviously, and ham and things like right. that. And mm. so like, if, but if a goy a goy meaning a non-Jew, right? Right. Without your knowledge, throws some bacon into your soup while you're cooking it, you know, or uh, stuffs some bacon in your burger, then hey, you know, no harm, no foul. It's not a sin. It's not right. a sin. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. It seems like people might try to exploit that loophole. Yeah, yeah. I don't want any bacon in this burger. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the other one was if uh, if a lion has killed an animal, and uh, and then it finished eating and it left and you're walking with your fellow monks and you see this dead animal, you can you can take it, you can cook it and you can have it, you can share it with the the whole community of monks. So so it's they're not exactly vegetarian in the strictest sense uh, that we understand it now. Um, okay. But uh, I mean at, at least according to the ancient texts, the uh, the earliest Buddhists. You know, yeah. but they weren't allowed to kill. They weren't allowed to ask someone to kill. They, you know, they, if somebody said, "Sit down, I'll fix you some food," and then they go kill a chicken, and then they cook it and they serve it to you, you eat it. But it, but you're not allowed to say, um, "Yeah, could you could you kill that chicken right there? That one looks nice and juicy." Like <laughs> then then you're not allowed to do that. So oh, okay. that's where they draw the line. Right, right, right. Another interesting thing is I don't think I've seen Jainism anywhere else. I mean, it's obviously has a presence in India, but whereas like Buddhism spread and like the traditions of yoga and Hinduism, you can see, you know, even in Indonesia and Southeast Asia and yoga, you know, yeah. the, the more modern, you know, post like Vedanta and stuff. You see that everywhere in America, Europe. I don't, I don't think I've seen a single Jainist temple. I've or, seen on YouTube, um, I don't know exactly where in Spanish-speaking America. Um, I don't know if it was North, South, or Central America, which country exactly it was, somewhere between Mexico and Argentina. Um, there's a bit of Jainist, uh, you know, presence happening. The uh, the the guy that um, translated and gave the commentaries for these books, the mm -hmm. the sutras I read, those twenty five, and then this book, Equanimity which is just talking 
generally about the path of Jainism based on these 25. This is, I, I only read this one because I'm, I'm into old scriptures and things. And then this is the distilled essence of nonviolence. Um, so that guy that I, I want to get his name, um, it's uh, Upadhyaya Amar Muni. He was considered a living saint. He was considered a saint in Jainism, at least in this branch of Jainism. And uh, he lived, I think he was born in 1901. And so he was, you could definitely tell that he understood the zeitgeist of the, the, the 1970s hippie sort mm. of rebellious young, um, you know, uh, uh, like, because he was, he like, he was trying to spin worshiping the guru in a way that would sound, um, you know, good to someone who says reject authority or question authority. You know mm. what I mean? Like, like, like he was, he was translating the sutras for that for hippies, you know, because they they were the there was this big flood of hippies. There were so many, you know, hippies or spiritual seekers or whatever you want to call them in the in the sixties and seventies coming into India that just by virtue of how many of them there were, some of them ended up in Jainist temples, and uh, and so he was uh, you know helping translate Jainism for them, and so kind of as as a result of that time period i think i there might be i wouldn't be i i would be surprised if there was zero jainist presence in america and canada and uk there's probably at least a little bit some cult somewhere in a in a house you know um, mm. but uh but but there's definitely some somewhere in in latin america mm. i'm curious like you living in india what do you think i mean obviously you're alive in the modern era you're not you know, three thousand years ago, right. living in India. But what do yeah, you think? What do you think about that society? Was it like the particular society, the caste movement? What do you think created this whole like? Because uh, India has, you know, this whole culture of like going within, and you know, you know, tantra comes from India, and these sort of mm. yogas and all of these, you know, internal mystical uh, practices, right? What do you think is so unique about India that you know it's not like you know, it's one of the regions that a lot of this comes from. What do you think? What do you see? That is a very interesting question. And my, my mom loved India. So I kind of grew up, you know, I mean, it's like when I think back on the sorts of conversations that I used to have with my mom when I was like seven, it's like she must have been leading the conversation because seven-year-olds don't have conversations like that. But I remember having conversations with my mom asking that very question. Um, and she had a theory that because the Himalayas were the newest mountain range on earth, that there were some kind of um, minerals or some kind of chemicals or something from deep in the crust of the earth that ended up in the mountains and that the, uh, the Ganges, the Ganga River, um, actually picks up these nutrients on the way to becoming that ancient sacred river. Um, you know, that's one thing. Um, it's a good question, you know, and, and when, when Priyal and I first met, of course, I was in love with India before I met her, you know, and, and she also um, 
she, at the time was saying she didn't imagine herself being anywhere but India because this is the land where the great masters, Mahavir, Lord Buddha, yeah. Osho, you know, all the great masters, you know, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, there's others, uh, Sai Baba and, and Ramakrishna, you know, there's a whole bunch of others whose names, like she could rattle them off better than I could, but, um, yeah, it's, it's like, there's something in the soil, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit of soft power, you know, like, Man, come to India. There's something in the soil, blood and soil. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, no. I remember uh, Robert it's... Thurman describes it as like the, uh, sort of this culture of like the psychonauts. It's kind of like in the 60s where they dropped out of the whole Shramana movement and which led to the yogas and the tantrikas and the Shaivites and the Vajrayanas, right? It's sort of like these people, yeah. this whole group of in that region of like northern India, Kashmir where there it's this, these groups of people that just want to like explore their internal workings. And um, yeah, I think he called them like internal psychonauts or something like that, but that was a pretty cool explanation of it. Like how now people are like, yeah, let's do some acid, see what's going on, you know, but they were right. on, they're kind of on that mindset, you know, before <laughs> commercial LSD well, one thing was available. I, one, thing I can, one thing I can say is that out of a, billion point four people only about 50 million of them are gurus <laughs> so so in other words like yeah you know i mean it's a 50 million is a lot i mean if if you found 50 million gurus in the u.s that would be one out of every seven people you know um but i mean maybe it's five million i don't know but but uh yeah, I forget the exact number, but it's uh, not everybody is. There's just this great scene, in, uh, and I recommend uh, to your viewers, especially lovers of Buddhism, and if you haven't seen it yet, uh, Shanzan. It's a Chinese movie. It's uh, hopefully available to stream in Korea. Um, my, my, um, I did a viewing, like I did a reaction where I took, it's a two hour movie. I got it down to like one hour. And I watch it and it's playing in the corner, but it's blocked in Korea. I think what that means is the movie's popular in Korea. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> sure, it's yeah, specifically probably, in Korea. You have to buy it on a platform or something. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Uh, but Shanzan, uh, I think it's like uh, X U A N C S, something like that. You know, Shanzan. Um, he was a sixth century common era monk who went to Nalanda University. He traveled from, I think, Beijing, what they call Beijing, no, something like that. So he traveled from, from Tong. They, they used to say, they used to call it, you know, the name of the emperor, the name of the dynasty that was going on at the time. He came from Tong to uh, Nalanda University. And uh, gosh, what was my point? Mm. I was going to say something about that. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe it'll uh, so, correlated to, so this is correlated to the movie. It's a true story, I'd imagine, or based yeah. on a true story? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, there was some aspect of it there. I am so sorry. I completely. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to thought. watch the movie to uh, see what. Yeah, <laughs> see what I lost track around. of my thought. Um, but there was something about what we were just talking about that was the reason. Oh, sort of the internal it. psycho, not exploring your internal reality, kind of. Oh yeah, I remember now. So he came to India, and uh, and he saw 
he saw people, you know, untouchables weren't allowed to walk on the on the road in the in the main town square, you know, and, and he was saying, you know, what you're a person, you're you, why don't you? And so then someone was explaining to him, oh, he's an untouchable. He's he's from you see, there's certain types of people that they're and he was like, how is it that in the land of the Buddha, people are behaving in such an unenlightened way? <laughs> he says, he says, this it's true, this is the land that Buddha came from, but we're not all Buddhas here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's true. So there's a lot of there's a lot of charlatans. I mean, because India has that reputation, and it also has a reputation for charlatans too. Um, you know, just because somebody's wearing an orange robe, but you know, doesn't mean you should go with them to wherever they're telling you to go. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't mean you should jump in their van and eat their candy or right yeah exactly exactly um so so yeah i mean there's a lot of very sincere practitioners and a lot of people like there's there's an understanding of of what that what the path looks like or maybe this is like kind of the origin of of that uh that spin on what spirituality means and it seems like there's references at least in the new testament you know, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, I think, uh, telling him, don't listen to those people who say that in order to be spiritual, you have to be vegetarian. Mm. And it's like, are, are you talking like, because Rome was sort of a cosmopolitan city. So I think he might have been referring to yogis and people who mm. went to India and came sure. back and said, I'm on the path now, I don't eat meat. So, mm. so you know, people were joking about how yeah, Christians eat meat. It's like written in the Bible that you're supposed to eat meat. You're like not supposed to be a vegetarian, you know. Right. Um, but then people might, you know, read between the lines and say, yes, but Jesus taught compassion and I'm a red letter Christian who's also practices yoga. You know, people find their own path. People find their own, their own nuance. I certainly have a nuanced path that doesn't fit in any particular box. Box, um, right, for sure. You can't really be a Buddhist if you have a cross, and you can't really be a Christian <laughs> if you're a Buddhist, and you can't be right. whatever. I, I don't claim to be any of those, but I do claim to be all of them. <laughs> yeah. Or many of them, many of them. Without Legally, limitations, without limitations. But, uh, yeah, all yeah, right, exactly. cool. Well, I think this was a good um, podcast to kind of give a little bit of a taste of Jainism. We got to hear about your interest in here. A little bit about what you know, um, what Jainism consists of. Also, I got to read off a little bit about like their rules and their sort of yeah reality. We got to check out their scriptures a bit and that cool little yeah. And that and I read I read all the scriptures and you know the link below. There's 25 of uh, these these sutras that I read and and give descriptions about and you know comment and and actually the beginning the very first of those uh, recitals. It they, it shows on the map and goes into detail about both Gaia and Rajgir and where that is and where Bahir, Bihar is and all that. So, okay, cool. Yeah, so people want to learn a little more, they can click that. Yeah. And the word I keep kept forgetting is Titankara, right? Yeah. Tirtankara. Tirtankara. Sorry. Yeah. That's the yeah. One. Yeah. I keep forgetting. Yeah. The first Tirtankara yeah. was. Uh, oh, Tirtankara is a guide to the Dharma or the righteous path. The first Tirtankara was Risha Banatha, according to Jane Tech, Yes. credited with teaching uh, the first professions. He taught humanity, yeah. swordship, solely for defense, writing, agriculture, 
knowledge, trade, and craft. So sort of like mm. the first enlightened being who teaches us about the righteous path. Yeah. Tirtankara. Yeah. But the word origin, Tirtankara, is uh, religious ford. Or, uh, mm, or as you mentioned, right, right. Word finder is another word they use, but I think Tirtankara specifically means like Dharma Ford. So like a like a, a quick way to get across the river, uh-huh. implying that if you don't find one of these, but then um they also use the word uh Ford or Tirtankara when referring to things like being vegetarian or mm-hmm. being um uh, practicing brahmacharya, not having sex. These are all things that will, that will help you across the river. So they're, they're like spiritual fords. Um, and I think that there's, I mean, personally speaking, I think, you know, while it may be extreme to say, you know, don't have sex, never have sex again, don't touch a lady. Like there's wisdom there. Like, um, people become super obsessed. I mean, even today, like someone could be a virgin their whole life, but be a porn addict their whole life. And then are they on the, you know, is that helping? You know what I mean? Right, so, right. so so that would, you know, be something that's, I mean, and I don't know if you like people go to the other extreme and say, you know, no nut November or whatever, you know, like, like, <laughs> uh, don't, like, don't let your seed out. And it's like, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's a path you can try. But I, I think that it's kind of like, two extremes you know i mean like the, the, like being being extremely indulging is like the devil path on the tree of life being extremely ascetic is like the death path on the tree of life and at least in golden dawn they teach that you should find that temperance path sure where it's like the middle it's way. okay yeah. it's okay to have sex but it's it, it's not so good if you're obsessed with it you know if you're if you're every day you know, like uh, you're beating yourself up because no one's attracted to you or you think no one's attracted to you or or if you are obsessed with making yourself attractive and going to the bar and like hooking up and that's kind of your main right. focus of life. I mean, there's a, I, I, if you don't mind if I ramble a little, um, in, in the Kromlik temple, uh, in the flying rolls, it's, there, there's so, someone who's saying like, don't look down upon people whose highest ideal is sensual pleasure. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm not looking down on that. I'm just suggesting that maybe um, there's something beyond it. And that I think that sometimes people find an existential horror in thinking, if I don't have this, if I don't cl- cling to this, then what's beyond that will it is a terrifying void of non-self, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's like, but that's okay. I mean, it's it's not that bad, you know. Like you you get beyond that, and and you can be in a space where you don't need that. Um, one of my teachers, Gordon, don't need that, that, but you can enjoy. You can, you can have it or take it. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, like with with food. Food is another one. Like if you're every day, you have to have a double cheeseburger. You're going to have a heart <laughs> attack. You know, right. um, but but uh, but if you know, it might help to fast. Uh, there's not so much. There's not not as much fasting in Buddhism, but they have certain rules about you know when you should eat and you know how much and don't eat too much and only eat during these hours and this kind of thing. At least for the monks in ancient Buddhism. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's wisdom in it, whether you're whether you buy it or not, whether you're on the path or not, whether you're into Eastern things or not. Um, it's worth, uh, worth considering that maybe 
maybe the, uh, the, the sexual energy and the food energy and desiring and clinging, you know, and, and even I think in, in, in a lot of Jesus's teachings as well, you can find him making reference. I can't think of any exact specific references right now, but, you know, like things like, uh, love or money or God, God or money, you know, um, you can live your life in pursuit of riches on earth, or you can seek out riches in heaven. And if you seek out riches in heaven, you'll get riches in heaven and on earth, you know, um, Things like that, you know, like, yeah, for sure. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll win the lottery and be a millionaire on earth. But I, mean, <laughs> I think if you, if you find your riches in heaven, in other words, if you find your, your, your sense of happiness mm. in, in not needing anything, then you'll find that the, the, the few sesame seeds, the few, the few uh, sunflower seeds that you get to eat today are better than any feast that a, that a king is enjoying somewhere else yeah for sure yeah there is value in um restricting yourself on certain things just yeah. to learn to learn that lesson right do whether it's a fast yeah. a meditation a silent retreat or something like that right you, yeah. you you learn the value like you also learn these thought patterns that are popping up like you didn't realize you were addicted to, to checking your phone or you know, right. yeah, yeah, a day without a boring yeah. screen, yeah, right, 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 exactly. Yeah, these days, that's kind of a big one. Enjoy actually. those things without, you know, without being controlled by these desires or these thought loops, right? So, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, going screens is probably a bigger one than food these days, but I mean, both. Are, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 good. Impossible, impossible. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, it's uh, late on this end. It's almost midnight. Okay, yeah, you need to get some sleep. But yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, it's been a good chat. And uh, yeah, likewise. Until next time. Okay, sounds good. I'll send you the link to those JN recitals. Oh, for sure. Okay, sounds good. Okay, take it easy. Okay, cool. Okay, good night. Good night. Thank you, Ryan. That was fun. That was a very spontaneous uh, conversation. He asked me if I wanted to do a, a podcast, simulcast episode, I think 10 minutes or 15 minutes before we started recording. So sometimes spontaneity is good. Special thanks to Susumu Ueda, as well as his father, and the other monks at Jofuguin, his father's one of the monks at Jofuguin on Mount Koyasan, the, uh, the heart of Shingon, the Japanese Vajrayana in, uh, in Japan there. For the music you're hearing right now, which is actually the same track that opens every Esoteric Nerd episode, though the music you're hearing right now sounds very different than that did. Um, special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the harp transition into and out of the conversation, and most importantly, special thanks to you, the Esoterra nerd listening to this podcast. All right. Um, well, that's, that's two episodes in uh, three or four days. It's unusual. After, sometimes with this podcast, there's long gaps between episodes, so... Who knows when I will see you again, but if you miss me, you can always find me here. Every few days I'm posting an episode there. 
for the people who aren't watching me on YouTube, I just pointed to a link to Buddhist Books podcast. And uh, right now, I'm talking so that there will be at least 17 seconds between that link and this one. Um, this is the Multiverse Cartographer playlist where I break down in detail the New World Empire and the Interdimensional Coffee House and the Multiverse Cartographer. Multiverse Cartographer. All right. That's enough out of me. I'll go ahead and close. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time.